Hello everybody, welcome back to Not Safe for Wonks. We're so glad to have you here again, as always. I'm Kennedy Cooper. I'm Brandon Buchanan. And we have a special guest with us tonight, Daniel Lockwood, running for Congress in North Carolina's 4th District. Daniel, are you hey. there? Can you hear us? Oh, I'm here. It's... It's good over here. How y'all doing? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Beautiful Saturday. Um, as as of the the recording of this wonderful podcast, Bernie won Iowa. Bernie won the debate. Um, we did an ep episode just talking about what could happen, and I think this was basically our best case scenario was was Bernie being like tied with Pete or winning, and uh, Biden like eating shit, and he's definitely <laughs> has. And so I think everything's up for grabs, and it, it looks good for our guy. Um, I'm going through the last episodes of BoJack. It's just a good, it's a good, good week. Oh God, uh, no spoilers on that one. <laughs> we don't want to spoil it. It just came out. It's fine. Thank you. I appreciate that. That show is uh, a life force. Definitely a, a huge part of uh, <laughs> my mental well-being. I need to get through Love that it. last season. So. Daniel, Yo. why don't you introduce yourself for everybody out there who's listening who has no idea who you are yet. Just tell them Four who people. you are and, and why are you running for Congress? All right. Yeah. Um, I'm Daniel Ulysses Lockwood, running in the 4th District, as they've said. Um, I was born and raised in North Carolina uh, to two public school teachers and... Uh, I went to school in the area at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, anybody out there, go Heels. Um, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Being that uh, one person. <laughs> I've got there, a- There's uh, somebody listening right now who's like in their car alone going, woo! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I am a, outside of politics, I'm a graphic designer and web developer by trade. And I work a nine to five job, just like all the rest of you all. And uh, yeah, I got into politics and started this run for, well, a couple of reasons. One, when I was 19 years old, I was arrested for marijuana possession. And that experience was probably the most traumatic day of my life. Um, I was, I had a nice anecdotal view of the real screwy parts of the criminal justice system. And I think one of the most surreal parts of it is to realize that it would have been a lot worse for me if my skin was a little darker. That moment made me realize that I I couldn't not do something about this. This was just an immediate wrong that needed to be fixed. And I started getting yeah. engaged in politics at that point. And thankfully, a few years after that, Senator Bernie Sanders announces his run in 2015. And mm -hmm. I mean, I was hooked. So I volunteered for that campaign. And from that, I saw how just a movement can awaken from nowhere. And I followed, I followed that campaign and um, kept that up. The Trump election happened, of course, and that was shocking. And we, to give some context for the district, because that's really important to this, um, my opponent, incumbent David Price, is has been in Congress for thirty years, and he's been challenged in a primary once in the last decade. Mm -hmm. If when me and a friend decided to start this campaign, we were concerned that if we didn't do this, no one might. And that would be a wasted opportunity to have the ideas of, of climate change and, and Medicare for all um, debated on the national stage. Because Price is, is a moderate and um, doesn't really speak to a lot of these issues. 
and we're in a time of urgency. I, I'm not in this for myself. Um, I, I didn't want to be a politician. I really want to go, I want to make worlds and environments in virtual reality. That's something that I've I've put a lot of time and passion into, um, but there's no point in doing that if we don't have a future where where any of that can exist. And so I I ran to to just feel like I I could do something about the horrible direction our world seems to be going in to start pushing back against that and maybe as a part of this inspire some other people to help push back too and it's it's been a wild year and a half of doing this um I, but i'm very glad that i i put my personal passions aside for this um and so that's why i'm running i'm running for people who are not given a voice i'm running for the younger generations that can't they can't represent themselves but they know how grim their future is on the path we're going so yeah. um, hopefully that is the most depressing that I get during this episode here <laughs> that is the that's the backstory here uh, so. now running in North Carolina North Carolina is somewhat known for gerrymandering and sort oh, of yeah. electoral corruption. Uh, I lived there for eight years. I saw a lot of it personally and up close. Um, how is your district in this regard? And how do you feel like that's going to be affecting you? Okay, so God, that is a very interesting question here because um, the district w has changed. All the districts in North Carolina changed um, about a month ago. Uh, it's been in and out of courts for a long time. And um, we learned about what the final lines would look like around a week before filing began for the race, um, which was just absurd. <laughs> but the fourth congressional district before that change was probably one of the most heavily gerrymandered districts in the country. And the incumbent had occupied that very safe district for a very, very long time and just didn't do anything with the safety of that seat. The district is still heavily gerrymandered. And I think the, the wildest part about this is that all the lines are going to be redrawn in 2020 after the census because we're predicted to get another legislative district. Um, so it, it plays a huge part in this because it was a huge justification for why we decided to run in the first place. There's no reason to play it safe in such a in such an absurdly gerrymandered seat. Um, in fact, this is the kind of seat that brought about AOC, you know? And and so we saw the same opportunity there that like there is there is an opportunity for the far left to take advantage of the GOP's fuckery. Has um, the demographic of your district changed um, in light of the the redraw? A little bit. I mean, it's, it's incorporated a lot more rural areas and it has um, definitely uh, taken on a more minority majority um, section of the state, but a good part of it is still the same. Um, and so it, it, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, Central North Carolina, if you're familiar, it's it you know it it is split up into three or four different districts, but it all feels like one big spread out city. And so I don't really care exactly where the lines are drawn. Um, you know I've campaigned outside of the district lines technically um, because it's all a part of the same community. And and if we act as if the lines don't matter, then they don't. Um, and and I, I really do believe in that. I really do try to take a principled view in how I approach campaigning in that kind of way. Um, you live in North Carolina. People might not know this, but North Carolina is kind of a tech hub. And 
you doing a lot of stuff in the technology and game industry kind of made me think about um, how that industry is. How has Republican governance um, affected North Carolina in, in your oh professional God. field? Um, has that hmm. impacted you at all? It has not impacted me specifically for what I do. Um, the Republican, our, our state general assembly for everyone listening is a, basically a banana republic. Um, they have complete control and they are passing the most asinine bills as Republicans do, but uh, just especially so here because the corruption is so blatant. Um, they have completely hampered any type of renewable energy uh, industry here. Um, they've made the restrictions for windmill farms even more stringent than our military bases have, like in the area around them. They, they have, I mean, they're clearly being paid by um, older sources of energy, uh, non-renewable sources, to pass these just stupid laws, economically, it, you know, terrible policy. Um, and so in the technology field, that's really a big part of where they come in. Um, aside from just tech, though, this district, this area of North Carolina um, is big in medical research and pharmaceuticals and by extension, um, health insurance. And well, Republicans have made that very, very cushy for those industries here. So can you talk a little bit about what Democrats have done, especially to like fight against that trend? Do you feel like I will give, so I, I do have a lot of criticisms of, you know, the, the state democratic party, but I will give them that as far as what they can do with the amount of power they have in the legislature, um, they really have pushed the limits. They have been very good at holding the line on Medicaid expansion as um, a thing that they're trying to push for. And they are they are putting up a fight as much as they can against Republican legislation. Roy Cooper does veto a lot of the things Republicans put out, even if it is overruled later. And it's it's the kind of fighting that I wish I could see national Democrats do, that we are just not seeing in the House of Representatives right now. So I, I will give the General Assembly, the North Carolina Democrats, that credit, that they are, they are really putting up a fight. It's just, it is so, so corrupt and so overwhelmingly in favor of Republicans right now that there's very little they can do. On the subject of not fighting enough, uh, impeachment just wrapped up. And that was obviously, you know, pretty much the biggest clown show it could have been, I think. Um, oh, yeah. You were very vocal on Twitter as both criticizing the president and saying that he needs to be impeached, but also recognizing the many failures of the impeachment process and the ultimate improbability of a like uh, a Senate, Republican-controlled Senate, agreeing to impeach President Trump. Um, do you think that there was a better way that this could have been handled, or was it just kind of a wash no matter what? They should have started it a long time ago. They should have brought every possible article they could have to to the floor. They should have drawn it out and made a, ruck, uh, a, a ruckus of all of the things that they had done. And, and anytime Republicans tried to pull their usual bullshit, they should have called it out. They should have been as angry as I know all of them were. I think that's really the most frustrating part about witnessing what I did during this process. That like, I know Democrats in the House are more pissed off than they are projecting why are they being reserved right now our our 
country is actively decaying under this administration. And why are they holding back? I, it just does not, it doesn't make sense to me. And so that's really what I think could have been handled better is that they just, they didn't follow their heart on this. They held back for reasons that I don't think any of them can explain. And do you feel like that's what David Price is doing, holding back? Or is he guilty of maybe something a little worse? David Price put up a picture on Twitter of him wearing a like flag pin label thing that I guess somehow indicates the fight for climate change, but he doesn't say the word <laughs> Green New Deal. Can't say Green New Deal. That's too radical. Uh, and what the fuck is that doing? I mean, really, what what is that doing? That's that's not even close to good enough. And the fact that he or his staff felt like posting that picture was somehow going to be helpful, like that 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 somehow made a statement. He could have just not shown up if he just didn't show up and didn't say a a damn thing on Twitter. I would have respected that. I would have been like, yeah, you know what? I would have boy boycotted that. Or if you're going to be there, obstruct it. Make make the whole process that much harder for them. Don't don't let Trump just say these things and and stand up and clap for him. You're normalizing I, fascism. I think a lot of people undervalue obstructionism. They see they feel like it doesn't really accomplish anything, but the thing is is that when you try people's patience, it does give opportunities for new things to happen and it gives Sometimes it gives the necessary opportunity for a narrative to emerge, you know, that runs counter to whatever maybe the mainstream narrative is right now. Um, you know, sometimes your story is just not out. And if you can't stop them from doing something until that story gets out, what can you do? So, yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely agree with you that, you know, I think a lot of Democrats in the House um, and definitely in the Senate as well. Uh, could have done a lot more to be obstructionist, to stand in the way of these Republicans at different stages of a lot of things in, in recent times. And it sounds like your rep has no interest in <laughs> taking those kinds of stances, which, you know, when someone's been in office that long and they're not willing to take any strong stances, geez, I don't like you. <laughs> it, it would be a lot harder... Well, I don't want to say that. It would be harder to criticize him if for his tenure and for what he's doing, if it wasn't for the fact that Bernie Sanders has been in Congress for just as long and has been a leader on every single issue, no matter how popular it was with the general public at the time. I, like that's leadership to me. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that the Democrat should be doing about Trump now? Because we've got, I don't know, <laughs> another year less until he's hopefully out of there. So in your vision, like, what do you think that the House Democrats should be doing? What should the party be doing as a whole? I don't know. How about let's, let's not pass um, a bunch of money off to him to create the Space Force. Um, how about, how about you obstruct <laughs> funding children being locked away in cages on our board? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's so hard for them to really like come to the decision to just say no to this. You know, getting stuff done, having a government that's running, is that really a good thing if that's what our government is doing? I, right. What's the cost? Yeah, I agree. Uh, like to, to a point you made earlier about uh, obstruction and that not working. Um, obstruction works because just look at the two terms of the Obama administration. Republicans completely mm -hmm. fucked up any momentum that, they, that the, the Obama administration would have had. I mean, hell, they had a majority at one point and we got we didn't even get a public option which don't even get me started on the public option and 
how terrible that is. <laughs> but but like we didn't even get that. Um, sorry, that's like uh, to answer the question that. that you originally had, which is what can Democrats do now? Honestly, that's what is so hard about like thinking about this whole process and and like having Trump on the forefront of my mind. Like they they went to the State of the Union after he just got away with everything and they stand it up and clap for him like what can they do at this point it's really hard to say uh, i you need new blood at this point and and i honestly i'm going to be i'm going to be frank with you um i have really tried to be cordial through this whole process but as we're talking about this and putting it all in perspective i'm just I'm really frustrated. I'm really, really angry that this has been allowed to get to this point. Why did none of them, none of them say something to this point? Why is it that the freshman senator or the freshman representatives are the ones uh, like holding the line on this? Where, what good is your expertise? What good is your experience and your wisdom and your know-how and getting things done and all of that crap they like to say? What good is that if you just let the Republicans destroy every institution. I think that, you know, a lot of times what people tend to say in response to this, especially like sort of mainstream neoliberal Democrats is, you know, oh, well, there has to be enough political will or enough political capital, or <laughs> there's all of these sort of like machinations that have to align perfectly with the sun. Um, <laughs> Those people are passive. That's what this is. Uh, sorry, go ahead. You can you can ask. <laughs> no, a go off. Okay, but... they're 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 okay. I will. We'll do this. I've I've really I've had to engage with folks like this for a lengthy period of time, and I think what they fail to understand that the political will that's that's them. Like it, they are the ones lacking the will. The, the reason the political will doesn't exist is because they're choosing not to have it. They're choosing to give agency to everyone but themselves. That That's what it is. It, they, like, I hear this all the time from people in the Democratic Party on Medicare for All. It just can't pass. There's no way it can pass. Well, you are in power, you are the ones who could make it pass. And if you all coordinated and decided that Medicare for All is a no compromise position, then you would have the political willpower for it to pass. Like it, it rests entirely on your shoulders when you just say, oh, it can't. That's because of you. It's because you're saying that. And I, I really strongly believe from that. from a place of compromise, we talk about this kind of stuff a lot on this show, but if you start from a place of compromise, then what are you going to compromise to? You know, like Precisely. If, if, if we're not demanding the best healthcare plan that we can possibly ask for, then what can we even hope to compromise to when people come through with like, you know, Medicare for all who want it, like lazy public option strategies. It's like, if we compromise off of that, we're literally going to get nothing. So <laughs> we're going to end up with the ACA. <laughs> uh, oh God. I, you know, y'all, y'all know your policy here. And I imagine a lot of people listening to this know their policy, but like the public option is not a reasonable middle ground between a single payer and a multi-payer market. It, it's literally just adding another competitor to a multi-payer market. 
all of the same problems are going to exist. It's going to be worse for the fight for universal health care to have public option passed than to not have it pass at all. It just, the sentiments, when, when public option inevitably fails, all people are going to think about is the fact that it just can't work in this country. It just can't. We tried it. It didn't work. And you are just going to immediately shut down decades of progress on this issue. What I hear when people say, oh, let's let's start with a public option and like slowly transition is that that is just their approach to everything. They're afraid of just saying what they believe in. And instead they are going, oh, it's the smart move. It's good politics to choose a position between what I want and what Republicans want. They they effectively let Republicans call the shots and define what it is except when they say something like that, especially on Medicare for all. Like that's really the big indication. It doesn't mean they know the policy. It means that they've never read the damn bill. It means they don't understand it and they are just opting for that out of reflex. Let's I think that that methodology applies to a lot of our politics and you know, our politics were designed to move real slowly um there are just so many ways that anybody can gum up the works in our political system and you need an overwhelming majority to pass things um what kind of political realignment do we need in order to um change the way that our politics are done do we need to get rid of the filibuster uh, are there uh, do we need to change the number of supreme court justices like what are the structural changes that we need to make and can we make them while you know staying ahead of climate change? In other words, like how much can we do right now? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, I mean, a lot of this does come down to, are we going to get enough people elected to Congress for this next term? I, we might not get a congressional majority in 2021, but we can, I think, with a Bernie presidency, get a congressional majority um, starting in 2023. And with that, then we have an opportunity to get a lot done. And that means that now, in this time, we need to define what we're willing to do. There is, it's, it's a book title out there somewhere, and it's just full of these ideas that should be mainstream. We need to fight dirty is what needs to happen. What's the name it, of this book? It, it's, I think it's called like, It's Time to Fight Dirty. I haven't read the thing myself. Who reads anymore, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> the, the synopsis, though, of this is that... Have you have you heard of the like wave theory of politics? Um, the like the more modern idea that like we're gonna have one extreme in power and then another extreme, and the time for either one of those extremes to get something done is then, and with the understanding that they're probably not going to retain power for long, right? That's right. Sounds accurate. Sounds um, we are about to have the wave, the blue wave that neoliberal that is going to happen. And when we have it, what are we going to do? Yeah, we need to pack the shit out of the Supreme Court. I, anybody who says that the Supreme Court is impartial is is just ignorant. Those those people are driven by the same political wills as all of us. They will justify things in whatever weird wonkish way they can to align with their worldview. So let's pack it with some leftists. We we had two seats stolen by the Republican Party. We need to take that power back. That means 15 Supreme Court justices. Pack them full of leftists. I, are the Republicans going to complain? Sure they are. Should we care? No, not at all. Well, let's make Puerto Rico a state. Let's make Washington, D.C. a state. Let's, let's even consider 
abolishing the Senate as a body. Mm. It's not democratic. It's not representative of the people in this country. Why should Rhode Island have as much sway in the in the Senate as California does? That's not representative. That's not democratic. And and I I talked about that on an AMA one time and people gave it shit. And I don't think that's because it was a bad idea. I think it's because I suggested that just isn't talked about. And and so that's the thing. Democrats need to think creatively about how we can stop Republicans from doing just what they have done. Again, if, sorry, I, I what I'm going to say is going to be a little pessimistic or suggest uh-huh. that. And I, and I want, um, you know, I want people to know that I believe that we can avoid this future. However, there is a possibility that we may not even have a chance to have an election in November. The Trump administration may permanently delay it. Yeah, no, I've talked about this before. Um, A lot of people forget, but George Bush made it possible to suspend um, elections in, I don't know if he specifically entirely made it possible, but I know that like some of the laws that were passed under his time, like the Patriot Act, stuff like that, helped to pave the way for this to be a possibility. And he talked about it, which people don't remember. He actually talked about doing this when Obama was about to be elected. Um, uh, Elections could be suspended during a time of war. Guess what? America has been in a time of war for fucking decades. So all of these war powers that can be used during times of war can be used at any time right now. And that's part of how they get away with all this shit at the moment is because we let these rules get just completely turned into just nightmares. So I don't even know. This isn't a question. I'm just frustrated, too. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I, I will say... I, I do want to like address the audience here. We're going to break the fourth wall a little bit. Um, if if I if there was no hope left for this, there would not be radically leftist people running for Congress right now. There is a hope. There there are movements happening all around this country, and there are organizations working tirelessly, probably within a mile from wherever you live that are doing the work that is going to keep us from falling into that fate. And if you want to do something about this, you need to find them. You need to look up your local DSA chapter. You need to look up the Sunrise Movement even. Um, There are probably people fighting for Medicare for All in your area. Just, Just Google it. Find them. They are desperate for help. They would love it if you came and put whatever time you can toward it, even just a, like an hour or two a week. That that helps. Whatever you can do does help with this. And if you're if you're feeling strongly about this problem, if you're afraid of this, you do have agency here. We all do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing can. It's not the personal responsibility of any one of us to fix all these problems. But if you're really upset about all this stuff, putting a few hours in every week is not going to hurt the problems. <laughs> Let's at least put it that way. Um, yeah. Also, we say this you know, all the time on this show, but I will reiterate as we always do that if you are looking for resources to help get involved with organizing, come to our Twitter, (laughs) like talk to us. We have pointed people to help them get like unionized and stuff like that and to get involved with DSA chapters. Uh, Brandon's in DSA. We're all like, we're all in bed with these type of organizing activities. (laughs) We know what it's about. We know the ins and outs and we can help you like find the stuff that's in your community. So if you're listening right now and you're like, what? I don't know where to start. Like 
Don't worry, there's somebody who is desperate. Meet us on Twitter and say, this is where I live. How do I organize? There's somebody who is just desperate for you to make phone calls for like 15 minutes. Um, Like small things mean a lot, especially if they are not organizations that like have a sugar daddy. I mean, I know Tom Steyer has like an org. <laughs> I'm sure that they have like the life <laughs> that is running smoothly. But for the rest of us, um, like it's, it's human powered and it is very tiring please help me oh god (laughs) i laugh but you're right it hey sometimes you have to laugh okay so So. um with with all of that said um all of that is in the 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 frame of the climate um what kind of changes need to be made to our climate policy during this potential wave election um and will it be enough to i mean keep us on level footing or should we start like yang says start getting the high ground um what do we need is there hope that kind of deal yang said uh, could you give me some more context to that because i'm i'm back at a debate yang said people need a thousand bucks so they can move and get the high ground so that when climate change hit um they won't like oh no this is pretty close to the actual quote like on national tv I, I didn't watch the debate and I've I've really been at ease at the fact that I know that just Bernie kicks ass every time. But like it was a couple months ago. So, yeah. Damn. Not even new, new. Um, what we need to do, we need to just fundamentally rethink our military. Um, why? Why are we paying so much to this? And if we're doing this, why do we have to build 300 something million dollar jets that just don't even fly for more than 90 minutes before they just fall apart? What? Why are we still doing this? Why don't we instead, if we're going to have a mobilized force of highly trained Americans all around the world, why aren't they going into consenting nations and building renewable energy infrastructure? We could do that tomorrow. A, a general could put out the orders for this shit. We, there's no reason for us to waste the money that we have in the way that we have. The only reason we're doing this is, of course, Republicans are making a killing off of it uh, by, you know, getting lobbying money from Lockheed Martin and all the other uh, manifestations of evil out there. But Democrats are also just, you know, not suggesting this, not voting in a way that uh, allows for something like this to happen. Like if we're, if we're going to be this involved in the world, how about we do something constructive with it? That's that's how I feel about it. You know, I, I mean, I also feel yeah. let's just completely tear down the military. Because war is a war is one of the many parts of the great filter for our species. Um, but that that aside, like if we're if we're going to have it, wait, then, because you, let's actually not put that aside, because all of our listeners might not be uh, huge nerds. Can you explain <laughs> what a great filter is and what that means? Um, I will try my best. So the idea of this is that if there are, if there's extraterrestrial life forms out there with more advanced civilizations than we could ever possibly imagine, right? Like they they sail the cosmos and they use stars for their their fuel, right? Like if if they exist, they have conquered a lot of problems that the society that we currently exist in is still dealing with. They they have gotten past war because their society is structurally equitable. Uh, they don't have problems with resources. They don't have petty squabbles uh, in this way. Um, so so that one aspect of the great filter is um, sorry. Let me let me provide a little bit more context. So a filter then for this scenario is does the society or does this this species 
do something to more or less destroy itself. Um, one of those filters might be, oh, there's just no habitable world for them to travel to beyond their own. They're screwed. Okay. Um, another filter could be, do they blow themselves up with their own technology? And if that kind of resonates with you, you, you can see what I'm talking about then. That our mm -hmm. potential filter here is we kill each other over shit that could just be solved literally tomorrow. And I, and I stand by that. Like we literally could just pass a law tomorrow to, to stop this, to stop giving endless amounts of money to these evil manifestations of corporations that are, are building these weapons. We don't have to do that anymore. We really don't. So yeah, I went all over the place there. Wait, Hope you no, can no, pull it back. No, I think that is a good, if you are saying that we are on the precipice uh, of a great filter and we are, we have the ability to overcome that, what would the future look like for us in 50 years if we were to take those actions that could stop where we're at, the, the path we're on now. What could our future as a country and as a planet look like? So y'all know, and every, everybody listening, you you know the sci-fi shows that are out there, the, the cutesy ones like the Jetsons, the more intense ones like Interstellar or whatever. You know, those ones where like our technology advances, where, you know, maybe flying around and hover cars and, and planets and stuff, any of those, just pick one. You choose your favorite. That is possible now. If we don't change what we're doing, none of that is possible. None of it is because we are on an inevitable path with our current trajectory, with our current laws. We are on a path to self-destruction, to societal decay, to where your children will probably need to breathe out of a mask or have a filter no matter where they drink water, um, to, where you're, to where you don't have a government anymore. You're, God, I mean, just eco-fascism as a concept is, is really disturbing. But the, you know, if our food supply collapses, not even a, a fascist government is going to be able to like exist during that kind of thing. Society will break down. And the really stressful part of all of this is the fact that if society were to fall apart and people somehow got their shit together, we probably don't have enough rare earth metals left to get back to the point that we're at right now. And, mm. and, and that doesn't, that's not good. It means that we can't just be like, well, it's okay if society collapses, I'm, I'm good at surviving the wilderness. No, no, that's, that's really not good. It's not good for anybody. Don't don't have that kind of an edgy fucking opinion. This is this is a serious situation. Isn't it, isn't it weird that everybody thinks that if society collapses, there'll be a warlord? Like, every, <laughs> like it would be weird to have society with this many Negans running around, these masters of survival. Yeah, or people tend to talk about these apocalyptic events where like everyone's wiped out in an instant. Well, wouldn't that be convenient instead of like a reality of like slowly not having a breathable oxygen over decades? Something like that. It's not nearly that's not nearly as romantic, is it? <laughs> no, it's it's not. I'm I'm gonna let you all like dictate the conversation for a little because uh, I feel like I have uh, no drawn it out a little bit. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, this is this is the important stuff. I mean, everybody can go on your website right now and read your issues, um, oh, and we man. can talk about all those things, of course. But like, sure. This is kind of more important in some ways. Like we are facing a lot of kind of existential threats as a society, as a planet, as a nation. And like, we need people in Congress that see that. 
So if you're listening to this, I hope that you're like vibing with this because this is what we need. We we got to have people in office that can actually like stand up to this stuff and admit that it's happening because a lot of these people in office right now just are still head in the sand. So I think it's fine. But yeah, we can't change the subject. And to change the <laughs> subject, you know, we tend to think of America as a pretty complex place. But, you know, there are societies that are more regressive. And one that I think that you could probably give some comments on is, uh, are the politics of World of Warcraft savable? Oh, my God. Uh, the politics <laughs> of World of Warcraft, uh, which I am so Stockholm syndrome-y, that's a word. We're going to go with that. I, I am playing because I have Stockholm Syndrome and I am stuck in a rut of nostalgia right now. Um, the politics of World of Warcraft are not redeemable. The the really challenging part about that is that the World of Warcraft will live on and the politics of World of Warcraft, no matter how devastating, no matter how bleak they become, it's going to continue to exist. Uh, this damn game, it's it's been out for, God, what, 15 something years, probably more. Um, long, time. long time. They They restarted the damn thing. You know, just like last year, I'm I'm playing that restart right now. There's no reason they're not just going to carry it on for another decade, just milking off of the the whales of of this of this player base. So what do um, we do? Do we nationalize Blizzard? <laughs> oh my god, that would be yes. Let's start with that. Um, while we're at that, like, can we nationalize Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast so they can stop screwing up Magic the Gathering and pushing things like Oko? Please. The is Magic the Gathering savable, though, or is it just like uh, uh, legalized gambling for minors? Ooh, uh, can I say yes to both? Um, <laughs> you can. I will accept that answer. Okay, because I was one of those minors at one point, and it felt... I was too, no judgment. It, oh, God, it was like a rush to to open one of those packs and just smell that new cardboard smell but it is legalized gambling for minors and uh it is still redeemable um if hasbro i imagine of course you know they're not going to substantiate this but if hasbro wasn't pushing so hard for you know just milking as much as possible in such a short amount of time as they are i imagine we wouldn't get such pushed crap that gets banned the next time it's it's like it's like Yu-Gi-Oh. you know they they just put out the next set and immediately ban some cards and everything else is completely irrelevant it, it doesn't have to be that way and I'm, I'm i'm talking to you uh magic's research and development team i'm talking to you it doesn't have to be this way <laughs> Let me ask you a question, and this is something that I've wanted to do a uh, full episode on for months, and it just never happens. So I'll just get your insight on it. it. When you listen to fans that are apologists for gaming companies, does it have any resemblance to you in the way that regular people in your district can be <sighs> apologists for political corruption and capitalism? Wow, I really love how you tied that in. That was great. Um, I think a lot of loyalism to the Democratic Party can be pretty toxic because it prevents us from moving forward on a lot of issues um, that we really need to. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be the first person to say this cliche of uh, politics has become like a sports team now. Ah, people aren't willing to listen to each other. I mean, it's it's all true, though. That's like why it's become a cliche uh, that people just can't have a damn conversation. Um, but you can, though, for for everybody listening, like you, you really can talk. To, and of course, what they say is going to, you know, probably up your heart rate a little bit. 
But if you just breathe for a second, listen to what they have to say and, and not accept it, but then go, well, I don't agree with that because X, Y, and Z reasons. And you just, you just lay it out objectively as if you were reading it in an article for the first time. That gets through to people. I'm, and I'm saying this from anecdotal experience of literally just today, I ran into somebody who is a huge, huge Trump supporter. We had a conversation for about an hour. And in that time, I made them, I didn't make them, I, I got them to reconsider their position on Medicare for all by just explaining how it is a more efficient system than our current one. They went, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I'm, I'm going to look more into that. And it, and it took, it took some patience. It took some emotional labor to, you know, it, I'm not saying everybody has to do that. Uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but people really can change. People really can be swayed despite what, what they say. We don't have to be so loyalist and we don't have to be so angry just because somebody disagrees with us. Now we, we, we very much should be angry if they disagree with us and they're in power and they're actively fucking things up. Yes. Be angry at them. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't do that neolib like decorum bullshit. That's, that's terrible. But real people around you who maybe support a different candidate, they probably just have different information than you do. And maybe there's something to learn there for both of you, but maybe they just, you know, maybe they have no reason not to trust Fox News when it seems to align with all their other views. Why, why is the onus on working people? To have to be such wonks on all this policy. The onus should be on the parties, on the politicians to be able to explain what they're trying to do. That's something certainly the Democratic Party of North Carolina and, and Representative David Price, but, but I imagine across the rest of the state is just so unwilling to do is just pause for a moment and go, hey, you might not understand that policy correctly. Here is a better perspective or being willing. All right. I'm, I'm going to dive in here. I'm really taking the wheel here. I want to give a tangential, go for it. You know, an anecdotal example of this. I went to one of David Price's town halls in uh, Morrisville a couple months ago, as if you know where that town is. Anyway, I went to one of his town halls a few months ago and it, he had a Trump supporter stand up and, and ask him a question regarding Medicare for all. And in the question, in the wording of it, it was apparent that the guy didn't understand how the bill worked. Something about how the government's going to take over healthcare, which just is, is patently false. That all of our taxes are going to be raised by a, a crap ton and it's going to cost so much money. Not true. And David Price, who technically co-sponsored the bill, if, if he was doing his job correctly, would have been, hey, actually, it doesn't quite work like you've just said there, blah, 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 and explain the policy. He didn't do that. Instead, he just defended very tepidly expanding Medicaid in North Carolina um, in the same town hall, in the same town hall. Somebody challenged him on the fact that, you know, Democrats just really aren't standing for a lot of things, that, that it's not good enough to beat Trump by saying we're not Trump. And, and he got defensive about that and and asked very irately, do people not know where we stand for? And uh, some more context, yeah. I had been to I had been to a personal meeting with him uh, with some of my DSA and talked with him about Medicare for all. And he was pretty obstinate. And and at one point I 
I said something that was, I don't know, I, I called him out on that and, and things went from like, you know, a little tense to really, really tense. And I landed that plane somehow. I, I managed to, to find my cool and land that plane. But um, in this town hall, a few months after, I, I didn't want to speak up because I didn't want to be the person who's always just getting this guy to lose his shit. But so I didn't say in the moment what I wish I would have said to him asking, do Democrats not know where we stand? No, they don't know where you stand. I don't even know where you stand on these issues. Do you support Medicare for all or not? Because you haven't been willing to say the words Medicare for all. You, you technically co-sponsored the bill, but you're not defending it. You aren't advocating for it. You're not being a champion for it. And if you actually support Medicare for all, then you understand how critical it is to saving the lives of millions of people in this country. And you would aggressively fight for it in the way that I would do if I was in his seat. So no, people don't know where Democrats stand. Democrats don't even know where they stand. And and the onus is not on people to go and do hours and hours of research on this kind of crap. People don't have time for that. It's your job to be able to explain that. I I, I have spoken. <laughs> well, that was that was great. Daniel Lockwood, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us. Today. You you gotta let the people know after a speech like that. Uh, how do they get involved with your campaign? Honestly, if you are out there and you're in this district, um, we we have so many different ways that you can reach us. We've got email, a phone number. Um, we've got a Discord server even. Um, you can find all of that at Lockwood4NC.com. And that four is the number four. And I usually hate that kind of pun, but it's the fourth congressional district of NC. So please forgive oh, me. Oh, you had to. I had to. It, it would have been stupid not to. Search engine optimization, people. Um, but that being said, if you're out there and you are a supporter of Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Andrew Yang, and and you're in this district, please just tell people you know who also support those candidates that when they go to the ballot to vote in that primary, a couple boxes down, there is a very clear choice for the policies and the direction and the vision that they believe in. And that is as it shows on the ballot, Daniel Ulysses Lockwood. And y'all, thank you so much for your time. This this was, I, I really appreciate you just letting me ramble. It, it was cathartic, um, but like I'm, this stuff really matters and what y'all are doing really does matter. So, so thank you for putting in the time that you do. It matters a lot. It matters <laughs> so much. What we do is so great. <laughs> <laughs> oh but thank you so much again uh this has been a, a very wonderful hour for us as well so we will definitely look forward to having you back on again sometime for all of you out there listening we have been not safe for wonks you can find us on twitter at nsf wonks and of course at patreon that is patreon.com not safe if you love the show if you really want us to be able to take things to the next level or even really to just keep doing it because it costs money every month, then, you know, it really means a lot when you support us there. Thank you so much for listening and bye-bye. Have a good night, y'all. Bye-bye. All right.